Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm so excited to have you on board for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tim Sawhook, and I am very excited to have you here for another episode. Today, we have a different episode. What's different, you may ask? I will tell you now. We have our first man on the podcast. I'm very excited for that. Um, I have loved all the women who have been on the podcast. It's been amazing stories. It's been so good, so full of hope and encouragement for everybody. But I've been looking to get a guy on here to come tell his story, and we have one today. It's going to be a really good episode. But before we get to that, I always like to talk about a little housekeeping. Um, I've been hearing a lot of great feedback from so many people who enjoyed Beth Guggenberger's episode last week. And if you have not heard it yet, I definitely recommend for you to go back and listen to it. It was a different kind of podcast where she shares uh, a few different stories about her life working with orphans in Mexico and all the different stories um, and how God redeemed all of those for good. And it's such an amazing story. And we talked about her book, Reckless Faith. And I still encourage anybody who's interested in some of the stories that Beth shared on the podcast to go back and grab that book, Reckless Faith. So many additional stories in the uh, book that we didn't talk about on the podcast still have such great messages of hope for people. I would also like to thank so many people for downloading the podcast. We're still getting a lot of downloads per week, and that means more people are getting the message of hope every week which is really the mission of the whole podcast. So by you guys sharing it and by downloading it, more people are seeing it, and I'm very appreciative for that. Like I said at the beginning, we have a great podcast today, a really good interview, our first guy on the podcast, which I'm excited about to have a, a different take and a different story come on. And I would like to get right into it today. So our guest today, he is a father, he is a husband, he was a professional soccer player, and he is now a missionary to orphans in Mexico. Here is my conversation with Jed Zayner. I would like to welcome Jed Zayner to the podcast today. Jed, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. A uh, little tired, but doing pretty well. Oh, well, it's our privilege to have you here today. Um, my son heard you speak about two months ago. He doesn't get overly excited about a lot of things except for sports and food at age of 17 and he came back and had heard you speak and before we get to that part of your story he's like you have to get this guy on your podcast so my son's been rooting for you from day one and I, I think uh you know I think your talk did big things for him and his faith and stuff like that so normally everybody knows who listens to the podcast is I usually say hey before we get into your story let's talk about what it was like before your story evolved but your story kind of evolved very early on so I'm just gonna mm -hmm. let you kind of take a deep dive right from the beginning yeah um yeah so I grew up in a a pretty healthy family um early early on uh, uh my dad was an incredible man uh, loved the Lord with all of his heart. He mm -hmm. loved people. He would go into um, psychiatric wards and uh, share the love of Jesus. He would um, spend time with the broken and the lost. He would start church plans and Bible studies. And I have three older brothers, and we're all separated by six years. So mm -hmm. um, pretty big uh, with four boys um, and tight-knit family. But uh, things started to change. 
um, whether it be the generational curses that were um, running in his family and the pressures for, or the pressures from this outside world, he started turning and doing a 180. Mm -hmm. um, started drinking a lot, um, adultery, and then uh, ultimately that developed into heavy physical abuse. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, I, I really can't remember the first seven years of my life. Um, you know, when psychologists talk about flight, flight, or f flight, fight, or freeze, mm -hmm. my brain literally shut off. It, mm -hmm. it, it just thought it to itself, this is too traumatic. I right. feel like I'm dying, and I'm going to shut this off so that you don't remember it. And uh, Well, let me ask you a question about that. At what age do you remember? Because um, we talked briefly, you know, a couple days ago about your story, and and I understand those kind of things where – it's gone like it's so traumatic things were out of your mind what's their earlier memory like what age were you at that time frame yeah i was seven and i remember myself uh playing t-ball mm -hmm. um i was out at a nazarene church and uh where they do like all the sporting events and everything and um it pertained to you know sport and having fun and but i was playing t-ball and mm -hmm. i was out in the outfield um and my brothers were playing soccer um, on a different field and I was sitting out there and I was a super energetic kid and I looked over and I saw my brother's running and I looked at myself and I'm like I'm just standing here I looked at my brother's running I dropped my mitt and just ran and just started playing soccer <laughs> I got done with baseball this is too slow for me that was my first memory that I remember at seven okay so as you were saying that things have changed with your dad you're age seven things got so bad that a lot of the memories are lost so what was going on during that time period yeah, um, so really all I have are stories mm -hmm. um, from my mother and from my brothers. Um, you know, we can get to uh, me meeting up with my dad later in life and him confirming those stories. Okay. Um, but uh, there's one specific story that exemplifies kind of the abuse in a nutshell. But I was the youngest, and so I was like one, two years old, you know, learning life and how my body works. And I'd spill stuff on accident, and sure. uh, so I, I spill a glass of milk. And he'd stand us literally in the line of four, and I would be in the middle uh, on purpose uh, because my brothers knew what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. um, they literally would hold my hand down as my dad would forcefully say, "Who spilled that glass of milk?" Knowing what would happen next. Um, one of them would raise their hand, even though it wasn't them, um, because they didn't have a heart to to see what was to see to, to see this happen to their brother. Mm -hmm. my father took this one of my brother in front of us, and he just started beating him in front of us. And uh, you can imagine the type of um, shame mm -hmm. and uh, trauma where my brothers are taking this punishment from something that I did. Right. And like, I have to witness it. Mm -hmm. so my brain would just shut off. My mom, my mom was black and blue every night. Um, my, when I met up with my dad later in life, he said it was a dark hole he was in. Um, but the, the, the bad thing was, was that the abuse gave him the response that he wanted. Mm -hmm. And that was the reason why he was doing it. He chose the easy way out. Mm-hmm. So with that, and so like you said, I think it was very um, good a couple of minutes ago. You said you don't really have memories. You have stories, stories mm -hmm. that were confirmed by your siblings, by your dad later on in life. Um, 
thinking back to that specific story you talked about just for the instance about the spilled milk and have you ever talked more with your siblings about that like why did you step up for me in that period and did you have guilt associated with that even as an adult that someone just your sibling brother took a beating for you and when you know you know it was your fault it was your time or whatever yeah we haven't it's it's kind of like war to be honest mm-hmm. um, we really haven't talked about it that much and um with our different theological views and sure um it it really um those conversations um we 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 may not even see um eye to eye on and okay. so uh it brings up so much hurt and pain um that without somebody that is from outside the the conversation outside that time period being there it's mm-hmm. not healthy for us to talk about because it, it just doesn't go down a healthy road doesn't go out. yeah because i know for people in traumatic situations especially a, a group of people in a same kind of traumatic situation mm-hmm. those things can either really bring you together yeah because it was so bad or like you said it could split you in a couple of different avenues based yeah. on what you said you know different belief systems things that you believe to be true then and now so that's what I was wondering about. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we're, we're definitely tight as brothers. Um, you know, I know my brothers would do anything for me. And uh, they, growing up, they'd sacrifice so much for me for my own soccer career. Mm-hmm. Uh, they told me never to work, and they worked um, so that I wouldn't have to because our family was super poor. So right. there's, we are close. It's just that's an area. It's kind of like an unsaid thing. We just kind of we, we don't talk about too much. Right. Well, I don't necessarily think that's like the best thing to bring up every time you see each other either, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> to, to be quite honest. So at a younger age, certain memories are, are left out. When do you start to remember stuff as a young boy, as you started maybe becoming a teen and starting to deal with some of those scars you had on your heart, really? Yeah, to be honest, um, the way I dealt with that stuff is, um, yeah, it was like it was like a, a glass of water. Mm-hmm. Um, here I enter this world as a glass of water and mm-hmm. uh, the enemy, the devil's job uh, was to put as much pain and sin on me as I could possibly bear. And so that my heart and my mind where I'm trying to make these decisions from is completely clouded. Mm-hmm. My filter is just murky. And so um, I'm trying to fill it with stuff that just really doesn't fit, trying to fit this square peg into a round hole. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Um, soccer becomes my glory. Uh, I'm training all the time. Um, I'm naturally gifted at the sport. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I just I train all the time. I'm saying, man, when I grow up, I don't want my kids to have this type of upbringing. Right. So I want to give them everything. And so I, I gave soccer my glory as well as I became a chameleon in every scenario. Mm-hmm. I really didn't, I couldn't bear giving my heart to any specific um, peer group right. or girlfriend. So I literally jumped from peer group to peer group. And that's why I only, I don't really have any friends from high school because I was just a shallow friend in many different scenarios. Uh, I was a Christian when it was benefiting me the most. Right. I was uh, uh, the jock when it benefited me the most. I smoked weed. Mm-hmm. When it benefited me the most, I drank. When it benefited me, yada yada yada. Right. And, um, ultimately, trying to get the fix where I could mm-hmm. fill that hurt heart. 
Right. And so during this time, the things you were talking about here are all during high school. You're trying to fill these empty gaps yeah. in your life with the drinking, with girls, with the smoking, mm -hmm. with being a convenient Christian when it was convenient for you and all those different time frames. It was all usually right yeah. in high school time. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's important what you said that um, you're trying to fill that spot in your heart. And so many people in life, they always are trying to fill that empty space. Yeah. And like you said, they move from one thing to the other, to the other, to the other, and it's never filled. People are surrounded with wealth and they're lonely. People are yeah. surrounded with love and they're lonely. They're surrounded yeah. with everything and they're lonely and they can't fill it with anything here on earth. And that's where, you know, God is such a big part of that. Yeah, and I'm here in Mexico um, serving orphans full time. And last night, actually, one of um, the guys that we serve, uh, he's on our soccer team, he came over and I'll have guys come over and uh, we'll just hang out and, you know, Jesus comes up and we'll open up the Bible and we'll eat ice cream, we'll watch a movie, whatever. And he came over last night and uh, he's had a, the worst past I've probably ever heard of anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, he's just like, and he's had a rough go. He's gotten kicked out of every school and whatnot. But he's like, Dad, what, what does God want from me? Like, mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, he, he wants you to be satisfied in him. Right. And uh, ultimately, that will give him more glory than anything else is when you're satisfied in him. And, and, and the beautiful thing about it is he knows that only he can satisfy you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it was just a fun conversation talking about that. Right. Also. Oh, that's awesome. Um, let me, we'll take a couple of steps forward. So this is high school. You've dedicated get all your glory from soccer. You're hopping around from peer group to peer group to peer group. What's going to start? What's the next step in your life after high school? Yeah, next step is is, is college. Um, but here I am, you know, first in high school, you know, mm -hmm. dabbling in everything. Um, shoot, I did things in church that probably no kid should ever do in church. <laughs> they would be like, you are a heathen, <laughs> crazy sinner to do that kind of stuff in church. Um, but uh, uh, I, I just couldn't work things out. And um, my brothers were going through their own issues as well. And um, one thing that did benefit me the most um, mm -hmm. was that I got to see my brothers walk through all of their uh, trauma and, and hurt and get right. involved in drugs, get involved in drinking, get involved in girls. And I saw the destruction it laid in their lives. And, you know, some people could say, well, 90% of kids that see that would go down that road too. Right. Um, but for me, it, I don't know, God graced me enough with a filter to just see that and be like, man, I really don't want to destroy my life like that. Mm -hmm. um, and my mom and I had a really deep connection, and, and I really didn't want to hurt my mom, who was a single mother trying so hard. Right. And, uh, and so there, I would stop at a point whenever I was doing that stuff. Uh, there were so many times that I should have had a baby or, uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, man, I... I smoked weed one time and it was laced with something so bad. I was tripping so bad. Could have died. Um, I got in cars with kids that were drinking. Right. And, uh, um, basically, uh, there were so many times I can see that God put specific people in my life mm -hmm. whispering to me, I love you. You're valuable. Run to me and not that. Right. And um, it hit a point um, where I was in high school and um, I told my mom, Mom, I want to go to this party at college. Here I am, a senior, and she's like, "No, you're not. You're not going to go to a college party. Are you kidding me?" 
And uh, I was like, okay, knew you were going to say that. So I back up plan. Um, I'm going to just go out with Sarah, my friend. And, um, and Sarah didn't drink. My mom trusted her. I got in the car with Sarah, and I was like, we're going to this party. And uh, so I pressured her to go to this party, went to this party, and here we are racing home. And, and uh, we're driving down this two-lane road. And uh, there's no stoplights for miles. I mean, we got ravines on both sides, two-lane road. Right. And trying to race back to get back by curfew. And here I am behind the driver, and I look to my left, and all I see are two headlights coming at me. And boom! Oh, my gosh. We get broadside on a two-lane road with no stoplights around. And here we get flown 50 yards from the wreckage. We're going about 55 miles per hour, hour and – I hear screams, man. It, it it seemed like seconds, but like I literally woke up and I checked the two people in front of me and they were okay. And the car door was completely crunched in on me. I literally took the full impact of this car accident. Right. I wasn't thinking. I hear the screams. I'm in fight mode right now. I'm hitting this door to get out. Not even thinking, man, I should just go to the other side. And right. I'm hitting the door and Boom, it pops open. I jump into knee-high water. I run up to the road. There's car parts everywhere. There's this guy that's crying and a tux calling the cops um, about the accident. And then I'm trying to go over to the car to see what happened. And there's this girl in a prom dress, bleeding from the head, crying her eyes out. And they were going to prom. And uh, you see what happened was their car got slid off the road. And uh, they were almost like at a right angle to the road. Right. Uh, like this and we're going this way and their car was directly like this and their wheels were just above the pavement so they're revving and revving and revving and revving and then finally the wheels caught the pavement and they shot out like a bullet oh wow i mean you're talking about one extra high or one extra buy and that would have never happened we're going 55 miles an hour Mm -hmm. and uh so i run up to the car and there's this girl that's intertwined in between the seats just foaming at the mouth and I literally, everything stopped. Mm-hmm. Everything, like, it, it's, it's happen, it happens in movies where time stands still. And right. It, I'm not kidding, man. This happened to me. Like, it's so clear as I close my eyes and just look back as it's yesterday. And mm-hmm. uh, everything stopped. I, I look over here. I can look to my right, just even in my mind's eye right now. And I can see this one man running towards uh, the um, accident, both sides of the street, uh, both lanes are, are just stuck because mm-hmm. we just took up everything. And I'm looking around. I saw that girl in the car. I saw the girl bleeding and the tux. And now, but now I'm, I'm looking back at our Jeep. And uh, this is the first time I'm thinking about myself. And I look back at the Jeep and, oh, my gosh, this is, this is completely, our car is completely demolished. Mm-hmm. And I started checking myself and like my legs and my arms and right. my head where it hit the window and I got no blood on me, no nothing. I just have this little lump on my head and like I'm looking at my at the car and the window's not broken. The car the car door's completely accordioned in and mm-hmm. I should have died. Like I should have died right there. Like there's right. there's nothing to explain why I did not die. Like the doctors, police, everybody. You just can't explain. I literally, the two headlights came directly at my face. Oh, my gosh. I'm just standing there as time stands still, and I'm just like, I should have died. And if I died, I guarantee you 
God would not have allowed me to come in heaven because I was a Christian when I wanted to be. It was right. all about taking advantage of Jesus mm-hmm. and the gospel. I was, man, I'm, I'm unsure. I'm unsure. And I know if I'm unsure, God's definitely going to be unsure. And right. I, I was, I fully believed that I would not have entered, entered heaven then. And in that moment, I'm like, God, I'm done with this. I'm done with living five, six different lives. I'm done living um, a life that's just searching for stuff that won't fit because it's only leading me to destruction. I want you. I want you. And so I gave my life to Jesus in that moment. That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. I would say, you know, it's, it was all rainbows and butterflies from there, but it wasn't. You know, <laughs> right. I was still building my testimony, I would say. And uh, God still needed to work out a bunch of stuff in me, you know, and as anybody would probably attest, um, there's probably very few of us that when we come to know Jesus, we literally get healed from everything. Right. I've heard stories for sure and met people for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say on the better part of 90 plus percent of us have to work through all the crap we've gone through in our lives um, throughout our life um, mm-hmm. with Jesus. And, and God's been continually doing that in me. Well, I think the difference is, and that's an amazing story, by the way, amazing testimony in that moment. But I think the important thing to remember is, yeah, God didn't just put us on the earth just to suffer. You know, yeah. we are going to go through stuff, as you well know, through your life and friends, you know, and people that you work with today, even in the orphanages and things like that. Yep. But he's going to help us use the things we've gone through, going through to build mm-hmm. us up that really to rely on him. Like, listen, I see you're in a bad spot, but. I'm I'm right here. My hands out. Yeah. Grab it. Amen. I've Amen. got you. And it right. even if we become saved and give our life to the Lord, it like you said, it's not like, all right, everything's great. I'm good. I have all the answers. Right. And I, I think a lot of people get confused about that sometimes and they think, yeah. you know, they see people who say they're Christians or, you know, they believe in God and they think, Oh, I'm gonna have a perfect life and then they go down that road and they're back like what kind of God does this? I have this happen and this happen. Um, so I think it's really important that you brought that up, that not only, you know, we're still working through our stuff today. Um, yeah, yeah, it's super important. It's um, in God, man, God tried before then. He did. Um, as I look back, he sent specific people in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was around the gospel a lot. I was, I, I, there was one specific kid um, who still, one of my very good friends now, his name's Dan. And mm-hmm. um, he literally uh, was, was like the biggest Bible thumping geek that I could have thought of back then. <laughs> At 14, he didn't care about girls drinking or nothing. Uh, but whenever I had a soccer game or anything, he just showed up. And then I like never hung out with this dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, he like invited me over for a sleepover. I'm like, no way, dude. No way. <laughs> I feel like I would lose all of my peer status at every school but ultimately i did and uh it was trying to have hope for it and i was like okay so what uh what junk food video games or movies are we watching he's just like um do you want to pray it's like oh my gosh no i don't want to pray <laughs> i'm 14 are you kidding me um but we would pray and i would i would just lay there act like i'm just talking and basically right. falling asleep. But he would literally pray for like two hours at 14 and Wow. Man, I, I would leave the next day being like, I am never going back there. Mm-hmm. But I'll find myself back there a month or two later. There was just something different. He would show up at different games, and uh, basically God was calling 
calling to me through his actions, through his deeds, and trying to say, you are valuable, you are loved. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you. And um, he sent people like that, and, and that's one especially. But here's the cool thing. He still sent people like that into my life, even after I made that confession of faith. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And as you had that through high school and you started into college, how did your faith and your life evolve through college? Because uh, a lot of people don't know about your soccer career. I want you to kind of talk a little bit about that and how that intermingled with your faith as you grew. Yeah, you know, it was a hard combination. Uh, Dan was an incredible mentor for me, even though we were the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he told me, he's like, when I, when I went to college, I went to Indiana University, about four hours from Chicago where I was growing up. And I went there on a full scholarship for soccer. And uh, he's like, you're going to have to choose between two roads when you go. Uh, but then Indiana was ranked number one party school in the country and back in 2003 and and uh had a seven to one girl to guy ratio <laughs> and uh i was like i'm in <laughs> yes and uh as a as a as a pre-christian um and uh so he's just like you're gonna have to choose between two roads mm-hmm. like, you're gonna have to choose um between living that pure life there um or living the party life and, and you can't dabble you can't dabble and uh, I specifically remember going and it being a first team meeting for our soccer team. And so they remember me on my recruiting trip and on my recruiting trip, um, I basically couldn't remember anything because we drank so much. And, mm. and uh, um, I woke up underneath the table and uh, <laughs> got on my flight and went home. <laughs> and uh, so they're like, oh man, this guy's nuts. Like, he's going to be so fun here, party. And uh, I literally was just like, I feel like I got to make a stand, you know. Um, I got to weed out all sin in my life. I got to get rid of it all because I can't dabble. Right. Um, I literally just told him, I was like, guys, that dead you knew is gone. I can't, I'm not drinking. I'm not partying. You won't see me out. Um, And the the funny thing is, is they got, they convinced me. They were like, nah, this isn't you. Mm-hmm. But they were like, how about this, Jed? If we win a national championship, you're going to party with us. And I was like, like unlikely. Right. I, mean, I hope, but unlikely. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll go. I'll party with you guys if we win a national championship. We won a national championship. <laughs> and uh, I go out and party. And it's just, you know, we, we, we think we can control sin. We think uh, we have the better hold on it. And that's the biggest lie that the enemy loves to tell us. Because just me saying that, I went to that party and I started dabbling things that I would have normally dabbled in the past. Right. Um, I just opened up the door a little bit um, for the enemy to enter in. And, okay, here's some girls. Here's some drinking again. And, right. Um, so I, I, I realized after that that, that that I couldn't do that mm-hmm. anymore. And um, I, I couldn't dabble. Uh, I couldn't have one foot in and one foot out. It was always two foot in, two feet right. in. And um, so uh, Indiana is a big soccer school, and it's definitely publicized and popular. And um, it was hard living in dorms. It was hard um, doing anything. But as I told people, um, as I became a professional for seven years in MLS in America, they always asked me, like, Jed, how'd you stay away from the temptation? And mm-hmm. I say, well, there is no temptation if you don't go to it. Right. Uh, if I don't go to the bar, there isn't a temptation. 
if I don't go to somebody's house where they're drinking and having people over, there is no temptation. So if I don't put myself around the temptation, there's no temptation. I, I say it's actually, it was actually easy. Um, all I had to do was right. just not make that decision to go. And I stayed away from it. Well, I think for our listeners to pause this, I think that's like a tweetable moment right there, a tweetable thing. <laughs> it's, it's easy to stay away from the sin if you don't go towards it, if you don't go towards yeah, the yeah, thing that's yeah. drawing you. As, as simple as that sounds, yeah. there's truth in that as well. There's powerful truth behind that. Yeah. Um, I think that's just like the, a really easy takeaway from all the stuff you've shared so far. I think that's a real like take a second, think about that for a minute. It's mm-hmm. the same thing if you're trying to be on a diet or, you yeah. know, work out. Don't go to the pizza. Like, say, you know, you yeah, know, don't what, to, don't, yeah, yeah. You know don't what to do. And then I, I grew up, you know, trying to fill my heart with porn and stuff like that, too. And mm-hmm. um, I've been years and years removed from porn and uh, masturbation. And, and, and like, what there's, are there still practices I do to not allow myself to have temptation? Like, there's specific parental guides that I look at to mm-hmm. my wife and I look at that. And she, and she's like, I trust you. And I was like, I don't, I don't care if you trust me. I don't trust my flesh. Right. I don't want you to ever trust my flesh. Mm-hmm. We always need to stand on guard. And so we check every movie I see, anything I watch, put my eyes in front of, I always check parental guides for, uh, because I don't want a hint of sin. A hint, a, a little weed can sprout up into something huge with a matter of hours. And uh, as long as we don't, if we protect ourselves from that temptation, that temptation, it's going to be hard for the enemy to bring it. Right. And I mean, I know that's easier said than done. Like, oh, just just avoid it. Just avoid everything. It'll be fine. <laughs> it, and, and it's tough. It's not an easy road to go down. And, and I, don't, I don't think you're saying Be proactive. That. Yeah. Yeah. Be yeah. proactive. Absolutely. Um, as you went through college and your faith evolved a little bit more, did you ever have a time that you were able to in turn speak truth into somebody else during that time frame? maybe come alongside some people on your college team and your pro team? Yeah. Yeah, man. Started Bible studies in uh, college. Um, one thing that was hard for me and I realized early on is, um, I had a piece of advice from somebody that said, um, let God teach you in private before he exalts you publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically he was saying, um, you know, we can get super zealous when we come to know Jesus. Right. Um, and we could, I got to share the gospel. I got to share the gospel. I got to get my faith out there. I got to start Bible. I got to do, do, do. Mm-hmm. Without realizing that God needs to build first. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs to build us up against the, tw- the, the, uh, I'm trying to say, I almost spoke Spanish there, but the uh, storms, storms of this life and uh, what's going to come. He needs to build us up against the sin that other ki- kids or people are dealing with mm-hmm. that we're going to be mentoring them out of. Um, because one thing I struggled with was here I'd be doing Bible studies and here I'd be hanging out with guys and like um, directing them to Jesus and the crap that they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. I started struggling it again. Oh, and, okay. Uh, it just showed me that my faith was shallow. Right. And it showed me and it reminded me I need to dig deep with my daddy God and allow him to build it up in me and for it to become a more of a natural thing rather than a forced thing. Right. And uh, when I make it forced is when, is when um, uh, my faith won't be able to withstand that. But when it's more of a natural thing coming out of a heart overflowing 
with loving and kindness in his gospel. That's when um, uh, his wisdom comes, not mine. Mm-hmm. And that's when I can withstand the storms of what people say and what happens around me than uh, I could have in the past. And so um, in talking to kids, that I learned that early on, and that's what I try to encourage people with. Um, hey, man, get as much time in with your daddy God as you can mm-hmm. for a year, two years. Don't jump into just doing. Yes, faith is a doing faith, but you can't do, you can't, you need to do from a place of rest. Mm -hmm. You don't have this rest with your daddy God. Your doing is fruitless, nothing. Just clinging simples, as he says in 1 Corinthians 13. Mm -hmm. So I I learned that early on, but yes, I was mentoring guys and uh, especially out of uh, partying, drinking, especially porn and masturbation. Um, that's a big, that's probably like 95% of all guys struggle with. And, right. Um, but that was something that very early on God led me to, especially the broken kids that had hard lives mm-hmm. um, because I could immediately relate to them. Right. Man, I already know why you're going to that. Man, I already know why you're going to this. Um, let me tell you, I can read your book easily. Right. Um, now let me tell you how, how, how you have, how, how you heal and get out of this. Right. No, I think that is amazing. Um, I wanted to touch on something you've mentioned about your wife briefly, and I know you have a family of some boys and a daughter, correct? Yep. When you first um, got married, started having babies, started having boys and stuff, did you ever have a fear, like, what if I turn into my dad? Like, because he was a great guy, he did all these things, and as you well know, abuse is so much repeated by generation to generation, it's passed down, like the worst gift given to anybody. What was your worry to you in your mind? In that, did you ever think about that? Oh, man. I thought all the time. Okay. All the time. I thought about, I don't want to be like my dad. And that's one thing that my brothers did talk about. A couple of my brothers said, like, I never want to have kids because I don't ever want to turn out like that. It scared mm-hmm. them too much that they would be yeah. that. Um, same thing for me. It freaked me out all the time. And I, that was an inner battle that I had in my mind for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, even, I mean, it, it's still a battle now. Uh, I, I can feel the enemy just rising up in me and, and right. tension uh, where our kids are just a mess and life's a mess and uh, we're dealing with a lot of hard stuff. And I can feel this almost like Hulk rise up inside of me that where I become somebody that, I, that I'm not. Um, I've, uh, the key here is, uh, uh, counseling. That's, that's, that's one of the big things. Um, you know, God's, uh, led me down that road of counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but having health no, again, proactive. Uh, so the way I mentor and disciple guys is helping them to understand that, um, you know, we, are, we live in a war and, you know, we need to strategize and plan. And if you don't strategize and plan against the enemy, he's already got a plan against you. Right. So let's think about the things that you're weak at because the best armies in the world already know where they're weak at mm-hmm. um, because that's where the enemy wants to attack. Right. And, um, and so I knew this is an area that I was weak at. And so um, here I am in marriage and uh, I'm starting to see certain tendencies in me mm-hmm. where I'm a very, very, very patient guy. Until I'm not. And then all of a sudden I feel this just anger rise up inside of right. me coming from nowhere. And I could see myself doing things in my head 
that are awful, awful, awful. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it was really hard to deal with because I felt like I was becoming my father. Right. And, um, you know, I would talk to my wife about it and, and uh, sometimes I wouldn't because I just don't want to scare her. Like, I don't want her to think like, oh, is he sure. becoming an abusive person because he's thinking these thoughts? Um, so what ultimately happened was, um, and, and this coincides with where I'm at now, but uh, back in 2013, uh, me and my wife were going to a prayer meeting. It's about three years into um, our first son's birth. And mm-hmm. um, she's pregnant and... Uh, again, for, with our twins, and uh, we go to this prayer meeting, I really just don't want to go into this prayer meeting, like, sometimes the dude don't want to pray, right? and, uh, and I didn't want to pray that night, and she's like, I want you to want to pray, and I'm like, I want myself to want to pray, but right. I don't want to pray right now, let's just get on with it, like, I know I need it, and uh, so we go in, just mad at each other, we come out, and, and uh, she's like, so, how you doing, and I'm like, gosh, I feel like the Holy Spirit's like pressing on me to do something. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just starts laughing. I'm like, I look at her, I'm like, what? Like you, you were praying for me, weren't you? She's like, <laughs> she just starts laughing. She's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> now, now I know I got to do this. Right. And uh, she's like, what was it? I was like, well, I, I think I got to, I got to fast from media. I got to take off from like all media. Mm-hmm. She's like, yes. You see, media wasn't like a huge part of my life. I wasn't like a, a gamer. Right. Uh, uh, I wasn't like huge into shows. I definitely had a couple shows that I watched, but I was big into movies. And whenever I was stressed or anything, I would go see a movie. Or That was my way of, of, of release. Right. And uh, so she's like, so how long? And uh, I was like, well, it has to be something that hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes it more of a habit in my life. And uh, I feel impressed to do a year of no internet, no movies, no shows, no games. Uh, the only time I can uh, watch a movie or watch like something on technology, it has to be a sermon or something about the Bible or uh, the Bible or, or something like that. And she's like, did you, did you say year? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. She's like, did did, uh, um, did, did he say anything about me doing that too? <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, I mean, you could do it if you want to, but this is about me. Right. Uh, I need, I know I need this for me. She's like, okay. She lasts about two months. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, but, uh, bless her heart. But, um, yeah. So I started on this road, dude, of media fast. And okay. Not knowing why. Right. And this pertains to your question about, you know, did I fear becoming like my father? Sure. So I'll, I'll get there. You're but, fine. Uh, Take your time. And uh, so here I am starting in, uh, at the end of tw- 2013. We watched the stupidest movies you could imagine so that we would not want to watch anything else. <laughs> and uh, we literally watched so many movies. We were, I'm, I was just like, I'm done. And then like two days goes by in 2014. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go back down. <laughs> But literally for like two weeks, it's like withdrawal. Like my hands were accustomed to like seeing things. Um, yeah. Literally my hands were accustomed to seeing things and uh, my eyes and uh, it was a habit. And uh, But I told myself whenever I want to do those things, I would stop and 
jump into the Bible or, or um, listen to a sermon or listen to the Bible. Mm-hmm. It was crazy because about after two weeks, um, it was almost like this light flipped. And uh, in Revelations, it talks about giving ear to his word. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can just say, you know, we can just think that's like, like listen, you know, listen. And, uh, but literally, like he's saying, give ear to my word. Like, like, like give all of your attention to my word. And uh, the media was taking my attention. It was taking my ear. Mm-hmm. And so when I allowed that to be taken away, it was like this white noise that was muffling the Holy Spirit's voice was flipped off. And my thoughts were incredibly clear. Um, I, I don't like to say that I heard voices from the Lord. Mm-hmm. I heard the Lord say things of the Holy Spirit. I'm very careful to not say that kind of stuff. But right. I believe the Holy Spirit will use our own thoughts and conscience uh, to lead us to do things. Uh, but my thoughts were more pure, more clear, uh, were more Holy Spirit-driven and biblically-driven. I, I, I couldn't get enough of the Word. I literally was spending an hour in the morning, an hour at night. I could not go to sleep without reading the Bible. New revelations from the Word of God that I've never even seen before. Right. And uh, we're going down this road, and we hit three months into it in March, and, or late February, and here I am reading the Word at like 10 p.m., one night and I get this impression that I should confess every single thing that pops to my head to my wife right then and there. Okay. And I told my, I, I told, I told the Lord, I was like, if I do this, I'll do whatever you say. And so I was like, okay, I'll do it. She trust you. So I literally walk in the bedroom. She's reading a book. And I was like, Hey, I got to tell you something. She puts on her book. And I literally for 30 minutes, any thought that popped in my head, I confessed to her and told her that I thought about it. Wow. And uh, I mean, whatever it be, whatever it be, like this dude's fat and I judged him. <laughs> um, uh, this person's super flaky. Um, that woman I saw walking down the street, I imagined naked. Mm-hmm. Um, like anything that popped in my head. She literally was, her jaw dropped and she's like, she said, who are you? Right. And uh, I was just like, I don't know. I literally was just like, I don't know. And uh, for three weeks, three weeks, I felt the impression of the Holy Spirit that um, I needed to do this. Anytime a sin uh, popped in my head, I confessed it to my wife. So was, what was your wife's response? I'm just trying to picture this being married myself. <laughs> Everything, I'm, it's like a movie you see and everyone hears like every single thought you have. Yep. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not everyone wants to hear. We start like, yeah, I thought you were fat yesterday. I thought... Sometimes yep. those revelations can be hurtful, right? Yep. And so yep. what was that like during that time frame? Yeah, there were times she was very hurt. Uh, actually, I would say almost all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, she's a wise woman. And uh, after, I would say, about three to four days, uh, the Holy Spirit brought her up to speed. Though. Gotcha. Um, and she started seeing a glimpse of what was going on. Um, so as much as those were hurtful things, right. Uh, the Holy Spirit was giving her a glimpse that I hadn't seen that glimpse yet of what the why behind it. Right. And, uh, so about, uh, so she, so she took it in stride and actually 
uh, about 80% of the time, I would say. I like to throw out percentages and statistics there. <laughs> That's all right. But I would just say the majority of the time when I said it, it ended up better than it would have in the past. In the past, so say, uh, here's a perfect instance. Okay. And this is one that my wife and I always uh, talk about during that time period. But we, li- we get in the car, and uh, my love language to give is to serve others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my, wife, my wife knows that, and uh, we're, we're going, and we have our son in the car, and um, she forgets to cl- close the garage door. Um, that is connecting to our house and mm-hmm. uh, uh, she gets in the car and I was like, you close the garage door and she's like, no. And she does this kind of like halfway get up where she knows if she kind of slightly gets up, <laughs> like, like I'm going to, I'm going to be like, I'll just do it. Right. Like, it wasn't like a full get up. Like I'm going, right. Like, I'm going to kind of make the intention. You probably had this experience in your life too. Yeah. Uh, we do it amongst spouses. and <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, I'll get that out. I'll pick that up. Uh, and really, you're like, no, I'm not going to. You know yeah, I mean? right. And so uh, I literally, in that moment, I be, and during that period, I became the most real person of who I was mm-hmm. um, uh, ever. In that moment, I looked at her and I said, you're doing that because you know I will get up and go get it. Mm-hmm. I am extremely frustrated right now with you. Like that you're using me like that. I'm going to go close this door, but I am so pissed at you right now. Right. And uh, just straight up saying it. Now, in the past, I would have thought this. Listen, this is, the, this is the messed up thing, okay? In the past, I would have been like, it's my job to serve my wife. Right. I need to swallow my own emotions and go close the door and come back. But the problem with that is, is we don't talk about the underlying issue of my heart and her heart. Right. And so I get back in the car and she's like, what was that? I was like, I'm just being honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, God told me to share everything that's on my heart and confess everything. Like, I think you're using me and da, 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 da. And we had about a hard 30 minute conversation. Mm-hmm. But the hilarious thing was after about those 30 minutes, we started laughing about my initial reaction. <laughs> and in the past I would have been bitter. So in taking the higher road that Jesus wrote of serving my wife, I would have been bitter for probably at least three to four hours. Right. And I'll serve my wife um, be out of her using me. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? I would, yeah. have, I would have been bitter. And we would not have a good time or anything. But at that moment, in being super honest and confessional with my feelings, we, we took care of it in 30 minutes, and uh, we ended up better. Uh, because she knew my heart more. Right. And, uh, over those three weeks, uh, what she started realizing was um, she's really get to, getting to know the real me. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, at three weeks, here I was driving in my car, and I was going up to work, and I was listening to this spoken word slash rapper. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, it doesn't make any sense why God gets my sin and I get righteousness. And I break. I am bawling bro like mm-hmm. mess and my my son's in the back seat i'm like, <laughs> like Daddy, what's wrong are you okay i'm like i'm so fine this is so beautiful i've never and, been uh, better i'm just crying a mess bro and uh but it hit me the why right god was trying to dig up this deep deep root in my heart 
that I grew up on the street, that I grew up in poverty, that I grew up in abuse. And that root was this, that I can take care of things on my own. And if I want to be a good man, I can be a good man without Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't need something else. I don't need anybody else. I can do it. And uh, he was trying to dig up this root inside my heart. And over those three weeks, you know, a lot of us have thoughts, right? You have thoughts. I have thoughts. and we. Mm-hmm. may just think of them as just fleeting thoughts that are just human. But in the Bible, it says if you even think about another woman, you've committed adultery. And that's where I took that word for word, and I just started saying that to my wife. And uh, in putting words to thoughts made those thoughts more real. Thus made me realize how, how huge of a sinner I really was. Right. Because before... I would have told you I didn't need Jesus to be a good person. Before, I would have told you, man, I'm an awesome Christian. I'm an awesome guy. Like, again, these are deeper things that I wouldn't sure. really talk about. But God was showing me we were there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I judged my wife when uh, super judgmental, when things didn't go the way it was planned and whatnot. And uh, it all stemmed from a prideful, I'm awesome heart, pretty much. And, right. Uh, God led me down that road for three weeks to show me how incredibly of a sinner I am. That without Jesus in my life, I would be nothing. That I would fall into sin. It would only be a matter of time. That it would be a mess. That my mind and who I am and, uh, and was born into this world into sin would not be able to withstand this world without him. Right. Uh, in that, your original question of, uh, of uh, would I be like my dad, that fear. Um, I always told myself I would never be like my dad. I'm going to be the best husband and son, poss- I mean father possible to my right. sons and, and children. And I will, I will do it. And I did it on my own strength always, 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 always. And God showed me how big of a sinner I was. Mm-hmm. He showed me over those few weeks that I was just a mess. And uh, and there was parts of my wife that she loved it too because she's like, wow, my husband's a huge mess. She <laughs> uh, knew that I thought myself, I, 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 there was definitely hints of I'm awesome in me. Right. And, uh, uh, but in breaking that in me, mm-hmm. uh, God was really truly able to really start healing stuff in me. Right. Being vulnerable is one of the best traits we could have as Christians. Uh, being vulnerable to Jesus, being vulnerable to people. And in that vulnerability, God's like, yes, he's finally broken. Now I can put him back together the way he should be put back together. And uh, uh, so I broke and God started us on a different road then. So that. That is amazing. I didn't want to interrupt. That's an amazing testimony, amazing story of how you were broken from, you know, from an early age that you can't remember to adulthood, and you thought you were putting yourself together in a specific way, and that God just really broke you down another way and started to build you back the way that he sees you for a future. Um, with all these things that you went through, it kind of leads you kind of to what you're doing now. Do you want to let us know, like, where you're at and how you got there a little bit? Yeah, so actually in that moment, literally in that moment, I, uh, I texted my wife and I texted Todd Guggenberger, who's the director of Back-to-Back Ministries, the mm-hmm. organization I work for right now. And I texted uh, them a very real message. It may have had 
two cuss words in it or something. <laughs> but I was, I was just, I was fed up with who I was. Right. I was fed up with the Christian that I was, I was living out. Um, and uh, I was just being very real. And I was just like, I am done with this life. Like I'm done with this life playing house. I'm done with this life acting like I'm, I'm making a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm done. Uh, you know, Paul talks about in first Thessalonians, live your life worthy of the cross. Like, I am saved by faith, yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm going to heaven. But man, am I making that cross look like it mattered? Look like it's worthwhile? And in that moment, I'm like, I'm not. Personally, I'm not for me. And it's like, I'm done. I want to sell everything. I want to show our family. I want to, I want to show Jesus that that cross means more than anything to me. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes and that next thought that popped in my head was, well, why don't you move to a different country then? Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I was like, well, I told you I'd say yes, God. So yes. And I texted my wife up and I said, we're selling everything and moving. I'll explain when I get home. <laughs> 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 and uh, we literally went down that road of, of selling everything. And within a year, uh, being hired as back-to-back staff and uh, – organization that cares for orphan and vulnerable children worldwide and uh over the the next nine months thereafter in september 2015 we reported on site to monterey mexico to serve orphans and vulnerable children full-time the great thing about it is is um you know i I tell people this often if you look at my past and my resume right you, you know they had a counselor give me like psych tests and stuff before i came down they do it with all of our staff but i literally have the worst past possible to be working with orphaned and vulnerable children. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people love to say hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God's in the business of hurt people, heal people. Right. Um, uh, he takes the broken to heal the broken. Right. And, uh, and as long as we come to the conclusion that we ourselves are broken in so many crazy ways, and that's the greatest thing. When Billy Graham died recently, mm-hmm. um, it reminded me. Yeah, he, he said, uh, when I get to heaven, um, uh, I'm, I can't wait for, for God to welcome this broken and wretched sinner that I am. And I'm, I read that, and I was just like, this dude has preached and gave the gospel to millions. Like, yeah. he's never been indicted or no sin of anything, whatever. And modern day Paul. Right. And yet he still looks at himself like a wretched sinner. Mm-hmm. It just keeps on reminding me that God wants us in a place of we are broken. We right. are sinners and how much we need him. And, and so I'm down here and, and uh, I mentor and disciple young men between 60 and 23 years old. That's um, amazing in hard places of life, worse stories. And we connect through soccer, through my past, through that, as right. well as through my life. And they share things with me. They literally have never shared with anybody else in their life ever. And, uh, and I'm just amazed. And uh, God is doing some crazy things. There's one kid especially that got kicked out of our program uh, because he did like 20-something bad things. Like we kept on giving him second chance, second chance, second right. chance. And then finally um, kicked him out and uh, we come down here. He starts hanging out with our family, discipling him, sharing my story and just loving on him. 
and one day he comes over and he's just like, Jen, my girlfriend broke up with me. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you don't get it, man. Everybody's left me in my life. Like here's a kid that has his parents left him in children's homes, uh, neglected him on the street. Mm-hmm. Here he was in, um, uh, abused in the children's homes he was in heavily in many different ways. And here's the one thing that makes him feel good and that he thought he loved was this girl and she broke up with him and he's like i don't have back to back i kicked out like i'm done i'm done with this life he's like what do i do and it was like god showed me in that moment everybody that did the hard work um the tom ross this guy that came down every year to visit would always love on leo he was a missions guest the matt cooper who was his house parent Mm-hmm. who would always sacrifice his time to spend time with Leo. The Ari, who's his counselor, who would let Leo just cuss and swear at her, and she would just be peaceful and just be like, I'm here for you, buddy. Mm-hmm. To the point to where he gets there and sits down in front of me, he gets, and he asks, what do I do now? And I'm like, bud, I was, I've been there and done that, dude. Right. It's Jesus. And he's like, I want that. I want that. Right. Gives up drinking, gives up girls, goes back to school, finishes college. And at the next uh, retreat we have for all of the kids uh, of our children's homes, we take them up in the mountains once a year to do like a a youth retreat. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, We're talking about the main speaker. And uh, I'm a newbie in this mix of people. And uh, they're like, who's going to be the main speaker? And I was like, what about Leo? What about Leo? Mm-hmm. They're like, do you know what he's done? Like, everybody knows what he's done. Like, right. this kid is like awful. I was like, that's why. It's because of what he's done. Right. God has then done after. Mm-hmm. And he needs to be up there. And so he goes up and shares his story for the first time, his testimony in front of all these kids, about 120 of them. And he literally falls down into my arms collapses after and just is bawling into my arms and he's like i did it i did (laughs) that's awesome and these kids are coming up to him just being like i'm you right and uh god's he's using him to mentor kids and disciple kids and here's a kid broken and uh thrown out and uh just a mess god just brings back to uh, just being his son and love it on him. And uh, we're still doing discipleship and mentoring. That is, uh, that is amazing. Your, your story and the stories of the boys that you mentor are the true purpose behind the Unwritten Life podcast. It's basically to show that God can do anything in your world, that your story is unwritten. I mean, Amen. if you think back to your early days of what you went through, to ever think that you'd be the place where you are now, and all the stuff in between yeah. and how God saved you, redeemed you, saved you, broke you, built you <laughs> back up over and over again yeah. to be where you are today. Just to be on this podcast, to share all this for the hundreds of people who will download it in the next weeks to be able yeah. to feel that love, to be able to feel that hope. It's just an amazing feeling. Yeah, glory to God, man. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, no, it's, it's been our pleasure. So the final thing, and I think – You've summed it up pretty well, but I ask this at the very end. If there's anybody out there right now who yeah. who feels like, listen, I've been abused, I've been broken, I've been abandoned, I've been left behind, I have nobody, and they're just at a lack of hope, what kind of one bit of hope and encouragement could you offer them 
just to stay in it and keep the faith? Yeah. Um, I've had people, uh, especially uh, high schoolers, come up to me and ask me that same question uh, because they've been through the same thing. And uh, I, I, I'd always tell them, the best thing you can be is vulnerable. Talk about your story. Mm-hmm. Talk about your story. And the second thing is get counseling. Um, allow yourself to go deep mm-hmm. and into those roots and into that pain. Allow yourself to do that hard, murky, mucky stuff. Right. Process that. But in general, be vulnerable. And in being vulnerable, in, 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 in realizing that you're broken, God can then put you back together. That's awesome. I think that was a perfect way to end on that. Jed, it's been amazing to have you on the show today. I wanted to ask, how can people connect with you further? If they want to connect with Jed and they maybe want to get some hope from you because they've been down that road, yeah. how can they connect with you? Yeah, um, you know, you guys can definitely have my email, uh, jzayner at gmail.com, uh, J-Z-A-Y-N-E-R, and uh, reach out to me. I mean, I would love to direct you in the right direction, give a, a, a little tidbit of hope that I may have. Um, uh, I don't know if I got too much, but... Uh, oh, no, you, you've got a ton, trust me. There's been times but, uh, during the podcast here where I'm sitting here and going, I should probably say something because I'm so intrigued by your story and, you know, it, speaks, it even speaks to me as I'm listening. No, um, oh, man. But, uh, yeah, they could reach out to me via email and okay. um, connect it or come down to see me in Monterey, Mexico. Come serve orphans alongside me. Get connected with backtoback.org and uh, our ministries and, and come down and serve. Yeah, um, I will put your email and stuff in our show notes so people can connect to you that way. And my son has, for the last three years, come down to Monterey and serve with you guys at Back to Back. He's loved it. And since um, you did talk about being a professional soccer player, his claim to fame is that he stole the ball from you in a game. So uh, I remember. He, gave, he always <laughs> reminded me that every day. <laughs> I bet. He reminded me. He was upstairs before I came down here recording this. I was like, I'm sure you remind him that I stole the ball. So Yeah, no, I remember. That still is his claim today. You know, every as as Jesus said, every dog can get crumbs from the table. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, Jed, it has been my ultimate pleasure to have you here today. You've really represented yourself well and shown that God can redeem the unredeemable and bring us back from at the very bottom. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Tim. Well, what an amazing pleasure it was for Jed to join us on the podcast today. Very appreciative of his time, and his story is just absolutely amazing. If you look at his story and you break it down into segments and you think about the early segments of his life, where he first started off with a loving father, everything was going great, and then things turned at 180, like he said. He can't remember the first seven years of his life because the abuse was so bad. Could you imagine what it would be like to be in that position, to feel that? dark, dark place that you can't even connect with because it was so bad. And then as his life evolves, you know, he is saved in different areas, people coming alongside him when he really needed it to speak truth into him and share God's word with him and really offer him that encouragement. So many different opportunities, he said, where, you know, his path really could have changed, like that car accident where he was actually really protected in that dark moment and all those things that happened around him. And he walked out with a, a bump. But after that, his life evolved into college where he had all these different crazy things that could have happened to him, but he took a different route. His life evolved even further. And it's just to show you that God can come in and redeem any story, right? 
think about his very beginning, like I talked about, all the bad things that happened and all the bad things that could have happened in his life. And he talked about all those different things that he did to try to fill that space, to fill that space and fill that space, fill that emptiness, to feel whole again. And he never really started to feel whole again until God came into his life. And he took all those broken pieces, slowly put them back together. And I want you to know if you're out there and you feel like, look, things are bad. Things were bad. I had a horrible childhood. I've had a bad adulthood. I've had a bad in the betweenhood. And um, you feel like you're really broken. You feel like there is no redemption for you and there is no hope. But Jed shows you here. He talks about that. He shows you how that build the bridge between despair and hope. And that bridge is God's grace, God's love. And he steps it in and shows you how that can happen, even in the worst situations, in the situations where you think there's no way out, there's no good answer, there's no hope for me, that there is hope. And I hope by hearing his story that you guys know that you can take those appropriate steps to find love, to find acceptance, to have a different life for yourself, and not only come through that, but then take what was your mess, make it a message, and then share it with so many people what he's doing now with back-to-back -back ministries in Monterey, Mexico. He gets to pour into the lives of people who have no one. Literally, they have nobody. They're orphans. And he gets to step in that role and fill them up with all that love, with all that hope. And I want that to be an encouragement to you guys listening today. You know, when I get people to come on the podcast, it's not just about shock factors. It's not just about, okay, I'm going to get somebody on that has a crazy story, you know, has an insane past just for ratings, just for downloads. I do it to show you that no matter what you're going through, that your story is unwritten, that many things can happen in your life no matter what you've been through. And I do that and bring these people on after I hear their stories because I know that there is somebody out there today who is listening, who needs to hear that message, who needs to hear this message right now, right where you're at, have God meet you where you are, and let him carry you throughout. So don't think for a minute that the things you hear on this podcast don't matter. Um, and do not think that your story doesn't matter. Because like I've said before in previous podcasts, I am looking for more people to come on and share their story. I'm not saying there's a shortage of people to be on the podcast, but I know there are other people out there that have a story to tell. And I know that some of them have heard other people's story on the podcast and thought, I can't add up to that. It's not about adding up to anybody else. It's about being you, your authentic self, your authentic story. That is what's going to encourage somebody like Jed's story today. Guys, I can't tell you again how much I appreciate Jed being on and really sharing that story of hope and encouragement for everybody and how he was redeemed through some of the craziest things that you could go through. Um, I really want you guys to connect with us and continue to talk about this, continue to keep the story going. So how can you connect with us? You can do it at the unwrittenlifepodcast.com. That's where our show notes are at. That's a lot of pictures of the shows going on. That's how you can subscribe and do different things there. Connect with me. Send me an email. Um, you can check us out on Facebook, Unwritten Life Podcast Group. That's where the conversation is going on throughout the week, sharing different things about upcoming shows and different people on the podcast. 
And then also at Instagram at Unwritten Life Podcast as well. Guys, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys tuning in every week and downloading the podcast every week and sharing the podcast every week and talking about it and really spreading the message of hope. It means a lot to me. I know I say it over and over again, but the mission hasn't stopped. The mission's just gaining momentum now and more people are finding out about the podcast and more people are being left with inspiration and encouragement for the future for the things that they're going through. We've reached the end of yet another episode, but this is not the end of your journey, the end of your story at all. Remember, you matter, you can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten.